everybody and welcome back to opera off stage i'm jesse wait we need a we need a spooky intro jesse don't forget what episode we're recording (laughs) i'm gonna leave this in and just put spooky music over it Ooh, we don't know how to do our job (laughs) spooky (laughs) oh listen you threw this at me give me a second (laughs) hello and welcome back to unsolved operatic mysteries I'm your host, Jesse. <laughs> oh my god, host. Michelle, you give me something I'm your host, here. Michelle. <laughs> You're listen, I'm putting down the line, you do the intro then. No, I loved it. It was perfect. I'm so sorry. Go one more time. It was it was too good. It was too Unsolved good. Unsolved operatic mysteries. It was the spooky voice for me that really got me. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I know. I it's it's the inevitable when you think you're doing a spooky voice. But that really does feel like what they do in the murder mystery ones. It is, but it's because it's I'm your keeping own all voice, of this in. Like... <laughs> okay. The, the ongoing quest for the good spooky voice. Um all right. One more time, one more time. You got it, you got it. I won't laugh. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to Unsolved Operatic Mysteries. I'm your host, Jesse, And I'm Michelle. And we're ready for the spooky season. Spooky season. But of course, (laughs) before we jump into our spooky stories, we would like to say, hey, (laughs) long time no see. Hey, guys. We had a little oopsie and we've been gone forever. (laughs) We've been gone for like four or five months. That's probably the spookiest thing that's happened in this whole episode. Yeah, the disappearance of Opera Offstage, which yeah. in, to some degree is fine, because I can't tell you how often people tell us from our Instagram that they don't realize we're a podcast, despite most of the posts on our Instagram being about the podcast. I Yeah, I really enjoy that, honestly. It, it really sends a shiver down my spine as our marketer. <laughs> people don't even know we're a podcast. <laughs> the greatest so. horror of all. <laughs> but... We have a couple little updates for you about the podcast. Yes, the podcast is continuing, and we are, uh, for lack of a better term, back on our bullshit. <laughs> I have moved out of California, which is sad long term, just because I'm going to miss Michelle, but is good for the podcast because it does it does give me more time to work on editing and things, and uh, a shock to no one, it takes a long time to do editing and writing for the podcast. Imagine. And uh, when you are just clawing your rent money every week, you do not have the energy for that. (laughs) Well, since Jesse has left, I'm now depressed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Depressed and all alone. Um, No, I... A little life update. I've also been super busy. If you remember, uh, my boyfriend Connor, who we've had on the podcast before um, during our Valentine's Day episode and our networking episode... Him and I, along with Jesse um, and a couple other people close to us, have actually started a community choir called the Conejo Valley Choral Society out here um, kind of north of L.A. in SoCal. And it's been super fun. We contracted our orchestra. We're doing the Durafle Requiem and Gerald Finzi's Intera Pax. And so we have been a little busy bees trying to get this uh, community music going. So <sighs> just lots it's of projects It's truly the wildest on. thing because it's, it's just this project and... You know, I'm on I'm on the fundraising side of things um, and I am singing with the choir. But also there's just this halfable idea where you're like, I can't believe we're actually going to do this. And every day you have to keep doing the things. and You're like, I can't believe this is working. Who's letting us do this? Oh, but it's going terrifying. really well. And it's truly proof of concept that like with the right connections and everything, you really can like bring out these crazy projects. I would have said the same thing, honestly, about the podcast. Anyway, so that's our little life updates. Um, but we are back and we are 
Uh, heading back towards a consistent schedule. We've got some really fun stuff coming up this season. I've got a couple little watch party things that I'm looking at getting started. So if you're not on our Discord, hop over there. You guys, spooky season is the revival of Opera Off Stage. We're like the freaking zombies. <laughs> We've risen from the out of the earth. So get ready. Just like the classical music industry. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> too, too close to home, Jesse. Which, side note, before I get serious, this is our third annual spooky episode you guys three years three years in the making that's freaky so you know curl up on the couch get those fuzzy socks get that fuzzy blanket put on some some candles and uh let's jump into it so for our first spooky story i want to take us down the road of a couple different haunted opera houses which is some of my favorite, right? We've all been in an opera house where, you know, you get a little tingle down your spine. There's a cold spot. We've all had some sort of of creepy experience, right? So I'm going to take you to Pulaski, Tennessee, and we're going to explore Antoinette Hall. Now, Antoinette Hall is an old opera house that for a certain stretch of time was actually abandoned for around 90 years at one point. Um, It's recently been revived and it's been really interesting because since it had that dead period of around 90 years, a lot of people have been speculating that there are spirits who, even if living performers have been out of the space, spirits have been still inhabiting the space, keeping it very much alive. Now, groups and individuals have experienced cold spots, disembodied voices, shadow figures which to me is absolutely the creepiest uh equipment interaction evps footsteps batteries being drained people being made sick to the point of vomiting people being scratched pianos playing on its own all of the goodies right that you hope to get out of something like ghost adventures so put yourself in that mindset now the people who work at antoinette hall while there are many spirits, have claimed that there's three kind of regulars that haunt the establishment. Number one is uh, a woman named Josie, who we suspect is from the late 1800s, early 1900s. And now Josie has actually talked to people and has told people that she either worked at the opera house or frequented it often. And she actually naughty Josie had an affair with a married man there now they actually have a right I know Josie I don't know what you get yourself into girl or got yourself into (laughs) back in the early 1900s but they actually have a historian I guess who works um, there who found a woman named Josie Phelps who kind of fits that time frame she had lived her whole life in Pulaski and is actually buried in the local cemetery in that town. Now, you don't really have to fear Josie. She's a gentle soul, and she will um, strike up a conversation with you if she's allowed. Now, the big if is there, who my favorite ghost is a man they called Mr. Nasty. <laughs> Which, honestly, if I was a ghost, I would, I would want to be called Mr. Nasty. Isn't that like... I, I'm changing my name in the Discord as we speak. <laughs> like, can you imagine? Please only refer to me as Mr. Mr. Nasty. Mr. Nasty. Well, Mr. Nasty actually fits his name. He's a male spirit, which 
first of all, you could just leave it there. But he refuses to give his name. And they don't really know that much about him. But they do know that he's very possessive of the entire opera hall. He doesn't like anybody in it. He doesn't like men. No. And he just, he's the one who tends to make people feel sick. Okay. Um, especially if you if you go, you know, calling out to provoke him or something like that. He's also been repeated uh, reported to creep up on people from behind. <laughs> so he's a little bit of a creeper, too. And that's why they call him Mr. Nasty. So Mr. Nasty, I guess, has like a hold over Josie. And the third ghost, whose name is Lily, and she's a young girl from a more current time. Um, she has spoken to some of the mediums and people who have gone in and said that she died in a car accident um, and just really loved the opera house. And she's known to play with some of the props and to light up equipment. Um, and there actually was a child actress um, whose name was Lily that died in a car accident and loved to perform um, just kind of in a lot of the local theaters around. And so she kind of fits that same time frame. And I feel bad for Lily. I, I'm sad. I know. <laughs> I think that's so cute. Something about like lights going off or equipment going off, but then knowing it's like a cute little girl performer like makes it way less creepy. Yeah. But then like on the other hand, you have freaking Mr. Nasty creeping around. I wonder if Mr. Nasty <laughs> is like a spurned lover or something. Or maybe he's just like a really curmudgeonly theater goer. You know, like the old guy who hates that there's anyone else in the theater. Pretty 50-50 yeah. on that one. Um, but also free yeah. Josie. I know. Free poor Josie, sweet girl. Okay, so... Free Josie and Lily. Damn, you can go visit this place and they like sell tickets to ghost hunt and things like that. I think we should both go. I think we should go on a trip to explore the haunted opera house. But we wouldn't be the I only musicians so. to do so because they just released a tape of Kesha doing a ghost hunt there. I'm so sorry. On Discovery. Kesha? Yeah, like on the Travel Channel. So that's what I'm saying when I say Miss I've Kesha? got a couple things lined up that we could do a watch party for. Oh my gosh. Well, Kesha's from Kesha's from Tennessee. And I don't know if she's just doing like a bunch of ghost hunts or something or if she's doing stuff in Tennessee. Because Tennessee is pretty much known for ghosts. Um, we have a lot of terrible things that have happened in this state. And therefore, we have a lot of places that are considered haunted. Um, but I would be down to go and visit the haunted opera house. I think really the thing that would scare me the most is the piano playing. Um, and that's just yeah, because that... I can't play piano. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> Not even scared, just jealous. Just jealous. <laughs> no, I think the piano playing would be the creepiest because I can justify. I don't per- uh, personally speaking, I don't particularly believe in ghosts, but I can I can very much justify like nausea being nervousness and light switches being you know bad wiring in a hundred year old opera house but piano playing I can't really justify because that's a full-on auditory hallucination if you're gonna try and justify it that's so funny because I feel like sometimes when we think about like piano playing we think about like the piano playing like beautiful like romantic like like some Brahms or something but can you imagine you're like in an opera house a haunted opera house nonetheless and it just starts playing like Philip Glass scales (laughs) Nothing but bad scales. <laughs> just the yeah, just just some chromatic scales. Being haunted by me would be terrible because I'd be like, oh, I think I remember how to do this. Oh yeah, just the worst music you've ever heard. <laughs> the worst music ever. But I love places like this because I think theaters are a prime place for haunting. Like it's a place of strong emotion. It's a lot of places where people used to hang out. You know, actors and singers and things. Like I wouldn't be surprised. 
you know. Oh, absolutely. But speaking of ghosts, Tennessee isn't the only place, obviously, with hauntings. There are lots of places throughout the world that have been repurposed into music studios. And one of those places uh, is a very large manor in Eroville, yeah, Eroville, France. <laughs> so it's about 45 kilometers outside of Paris. And in the 1960s, it was repurposed as Strawberry Studios. So this is this beautiful studio out, you know, out in the French countryside where Pink Floyd, Iggy Pop, Grateful Dead, Jethro Tull, Elton John, but most important to this story, David Bowie would go and Mm. make their recordings. Already kind of the supernatural figure in a lot of people's minds. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, So there was a documentary about making music here with David Bowie and uh, a sound engineer named Dominique. Uh, he was saying that like when Bowie looked you in the eyes, it was like he was piercing you with lasers. It felt as though someone was rummaging in your thoughts. And out of all the clients we had at the Chateau, he was the coolest. For that time, he had such a bizarre look, <laughs> really like an alien. One couldn't imagine him being human. Um, okay, no, thank you. Right? <laughs> So initially when he, David Bowie, and Brian Eno and Tony Visconti, who were also on this album with Bowie, uh, got there, David Bowie was given the master bedroom, the main bedchamber in the chateau. What they didn't tell people and didn't tell Bowie when he moved in there, that this is also supposedly the room where Chopin had died of tuberculosis. Uh, uh, oh? And not only that, it's not Our boy Chopin. only the chateau where Chopin died but it was also where he was meeting with his lover george sand who if you don't know who that is george sand is a writer and a woman uh who used a male pseudonym when she wrote bowie lasted one night in this bedchamber (laughs) after it was one night and then bowie was like i'm not doing it he goes somebody is shaking me awake and he's like i woke up and i (gasps) saw a man and a woman standing over me watching me oh no 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 oh no 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 get out of there bowie now he maintained (laughs) he maintained he was like i'm not really scared okay he's like he's like but i can't keep being shaken awake in the middle of the night he's like chopin is shaking me waking me up and just staring me down (laughs) i i love this and i also hate this because you know when you when you talk about like ghost experiences it's always like this unknown person or it's like this infam it's mr nasty right that's who you're getting waken up by right most of the time it's like some rando ghost that nobody knows but like can you imagine if it's you wake up and it's literally chopin you're like wait i literally know you <laughs> right i've like sung your songs before that's wacky right but even then so Bowie refused. Brian Eno moves into that room, right? Because they, he's just like, I can't do it. And Brian Eno experiences the same thing. Chopin is shaking him awake and then just staring at him. <laughs> um, and it, he says, like, finally, after the third night, he sat up, looked at the apparition straight in the eyes and said, listen here, you bugger. If you have something to ask me, speak up. Otherwise, go bother someone down the hall and let me get back to sleep. <gasps> He said that Chopin. So brave. He said that Chopin's expression changed. His posture drooped, and he seemed to look sad. And then, without a sound, the apparition vanished into the darkness. Oh my God! Sad wait. boy. <laughs> Poor Chopin. 
Chopin's just like, does somebody want to have a jam sesh with me? And everybody's like, like, that to me is so funny because that gives me like the same vibes as like that Spongebob episode where it's like, oh, Nosferatu. And he's like flicking the light. It's like, oh, Chopin, stop wiggling me in my bed. Like, what is that? On other occasions, he said that he would come. Oh, he said he also said that like after that, he couldn't fall asleep again because he felt really bad at like yelling at one of the greatest classical composers so they knew who they were seeing i assume someone at the chateau told them eventually that like we we have people see the ghost of george sand and um chopin yeah like bowie just wakes up and he's like what the heck is going on on other occasions only to find out from the front desk that it's world-class composer and pianist chopin On other occasions, he said that he would come into the room and see off in the corner the apparitions of Chopin and George Sand rummaging through a corner desk as though they were searching for papers. Not wishing to disturb their concentration, Brian Eno would quietly lie down on the bed until after several minutes they would disappear. But one time after they seemed to have found what they were searching for, the couple turned towards Eno, smiled, and bowed graciously. Eno returned the smile and said, it's the least I could do. They broadly smiled back to him and then disappeared, never to return for the remainder of the time spent at the manor. Literally just looking for paper. I don't know. For inspiration, for music. You know, it's funny that, like, they seem to haunt this room, not Bowie specifically, because Brian Eno definitely says more about what he experienced with them, since I I think he spent more time in that specific room. Although, well, it's funny because I think they also made sure to mention that other people saw the ghosts, because at this time, David Bowie was, like, a recovering cocaine addict and prone to psychosis. (laughs) Important side fact. (laughs) This is an era of music Important where you, disclaimer. This is an era of music where you can generally just assume that there was some kind of drug involved. But like, yeah, they were trying to kind of differentiate that like, not everyone there was probably in a cocaine-induced psychosis. <laughs> just Chopin. But the, one of their other collaborators was so funny because he also experienced the ghost. So this is Tony Visconti and he says, It felt like it was haunted as all fuck, but what could Friedrich and George really do to me? Scare me in French? <gasps> no! I love that. Because, of course, even if those ghosts scare had spoken to them, would they French. have understood? What are you going to do? Scare me in French? Oh my god. That's my new comeback. What are you going to do? Scare me in French? I, what are you going to do? Scare me in French? <laughs> that has to be the epi- the title of this episode. What are you going to do? Dying. Scare me in French? Dude, scare me in French? <laughs> oh my god. Okay, but this, like, begs the question, though. You're woken in the middle of the night. Somebody's rustling you. Somebody's shaking you awake. Best composer to be woken up by. Worst composer to be woken up by. Go. Ooh, ooh. Worst composer is definitely the guy you talked about last year. Without a doubt. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Or not last year. Oh, first year. Literally. First year of it. Uh, oh my god. Why am I forgetting about my boy? <clears throat> My boy, literally a serial killer. My boy. <laughs> Just Waldo. Like a mass murderer. Just freaking Waldo. Just Waldo was oh, losing yeah, his mind, hyper-religious, and like, no. I, I don't want to see Just Waldo in the afterlife, because I don't know, want to know what happened to him. That's true. I I mean, honestly, if Jez Waldo's at the foot of your bed, like, you're a goner. <laughs> like, start saying your prayers. I feel like Cezanne or Chopin are both good choices, because I feel like they're pretty chill. I, the only reason I say not someone like Mozart is, like, Mozart was a little perv when he was alive, and I don't want to know what he's like as a ghost. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like my best would be Mozart, because I feel like I would wake up 
and Mozart would be like tickling my foot with a feather. And he'd be like, oh. That's what I just said, pervert. Gotcha. <laughs> but like, I feel like it would be funny. It would. It would be um, a good story. Um, it w- But like, can you imagine you wake up and it's like literally Mozart? <laughs> like literally Wolfgang himself? I'd be like, I'm so sorry. I, I feel like Beethoven would be very scary and I don't think it's entirely his fault. He's just, every no, visually portrait terrifying. of him has such an ominous presence. I actually think Tchaikovsky would be kind of fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like Tchaikovsky would, like, come up and snuggle with me. <laughs> I feel like Tchaikovsky have, like, would have been, over like, together. just a good uh, a party in the afterlife. Because I feel like, I yeah. mean, obviously, Tchaikovsky was kind of overwhelmed by a lot of the social pressures of being Russian and gay. Uh, so I feel like the afterlife might have been a little bit freeing. Also, I feel like the worst person for me to wake up to would be Wagner. <laughs> That'd be terrifying. <laughs> like... He would wake me up and then, like, a horrible alarm would start going off. <laughs> like, and I'd be like, oh, please. You don't no. want to be woken up by Brahms? Ooh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, I feel like Brahms would wake me up and then it would be like, Mom, I have to throw up. Like, <laughs> like that would be the vibe of, like, being woken up by a kid who's like, Mom, I peed in my bed. That would be Brahms. <laughs> That's Brahms energy. Don't know why. Just yeah, so hit us up and let us know what your best worst composer ghost would be. Turning back to our haunted opera houses. It's so funny. So I don't know why that this is a thing, but I feel like there's always like the troublemaker ghost, right? And then there's like the nice like woman ghost. And then there's a kid. That's like the infamous trio <laughs> of opera houses. So we were in Tennessee. We we're going to head over to Bristol, Indiana, to the Bristol Opera House. And they have three very distinct spirits that are regularly seen as well. The first is Beth, who fits our young girl description. She can be seen peeking out at rehearsing actors from the wings of the stage, which I don't know. That's a little bit more creepy. Like, I don't want to see the kid ghost. Like, if it's Lily lighting up some technical equipment, cute. Actually seeing kid ghosts, like watching me during my blocking rehearsal that's a no for me you know me. i also wish they'd given me a better description of like what they're seeing like does it look like a ghost or does it just look like a person yeah i don't know either is bad to me the <laughs> second bad. ghost there is hell all bad i don't want to say anything um the second person there is helen who's beloved by the theater and she's like the protector so she like makes sure that things aren't getting out of hand when the third ghost percival which like of course that's his name like the perfect name for a little poltergeist like throws tantrums all the time um and i guess percival back when he was alive whoever he was his house was burnt down and the opera house um bristol opera house basically took him in at the time and allowed him to live in the building and be like the handyman for the house and he was so attached that like he just refused to like leave once he died so his spirit remains there but he's still like a big troublemaker and female actresses regularly see glimpses of him in their dressing room mirrors which like once again absolutely not <laughs> no 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 <laughs> like percival like an actual creeper that's a hard no for me it's gonna be a no it's gonna be a no Another thing I'll briefly mention is in Gr- the Granbury Opera House, which is in Granbury, Texas, apparently is haunted by John Wilkes Booth, which is so random to me. What? Like another like shocking thing. Like it's the same thing as like Chopin. You're like, wait, the ghost of like an actual famous person? I don't know about that. 
But the rumor was actually explored on Discovery Channel's Ghost Lab show. So check it out. But Granbury in general is supposed to be the home to numerous spirits. A lot of people say that this site is a portal. And that's why so many ghosts um, flock to this area. But what's kind of interesting is apparently, okay, rumor says that John Wilkes Booth was a bartender in Granbury and would take part in many of the like Shakespearean plays and performances at the Granbury Opera House. He eventually like fled the town, but now according to the actors and crew makers at the Opera House, they often will see a man dressed in black passionately reciting Shakespeare on stage, like even when it's like 1 a.m. And after he finishes his like soliloquy or monologue, he vanishes. And I don't think that everybody like immediately thought that it was John Wilkes Booth per se, but pretty much everybody who's come forward as a witness who has claimed to see some sort of ghostly figure, they've all been shown the picture of John Wilkes Booth and they all say that it like looks exactly like him, exactly like the person. So people are calling him like the Phantom of the Opera, which is really funny to me. (laughs) I mean, horrible, but like so bizarre. What a weird place for his ghost to be though, right? I'm like, wait, what? The last little tidbit, which is not an opera house that we looked into, is the kidnapping of Renaissance composer Orlando de Lasus, who was kidnapped like three times as a boy because his singing voice was so beautiful. And I honestly take this as an offense. Like, not that I want to be kidnapped, but like, apparently my voice isn't beautiful enough to warrant being kidnapped. And that's kind of rude. It's kind of, it's kind of rude. I just love that, like, they're treating that like it's a completely normal thing. They're like, he was kidnapped a couple times because he had a pretty voice as a kid. But like, no worries. You're like, wait, wait, wait. How beautiful was this man's voice? How common was kidnapping? Like, <laughs> several questions <laughs> brought up there. But I will say, the other thing I, I laugh about, about like the Bristol Opera House, you know, the, you know. Percival and everything. I love, like, the idea. It's such an easy out sometimes to just be like, oh, the prop was missing? Ghost. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, he used to steal props all the time, too. And I'm like, mm, was it really Percival or did somebody slip up? My favorite thing about <laughs> Percival is the people are saying that, like, he pulls people backwards right before they try to make their entrances. That's a real, that's a real rude move. That's so funny to me. Literally making you late. <laughs> literally. You get yelled at by the director after. You're like, literally, I was trying to get on stage. And this ghost attacked me. What was I supposed to do? But I also love that, like, according to the story, it's apropos of nothing. He worked as a handyman. And now he's like, now I can finally mess with the actors the way I've always wanted. Right? Like, he was, like, this nice guy who helped around, like, super dedicated. And then he dies. And he's like, teehee. <laughs> Time to be evil. <laughs> like, what? Time to mess around. But even then, like. If you're John Wilkes Booth, are you really just going to recite Shakespeare for eternity? Honestly, not a bad way to go. No, not a bad, not a bad to loop me. to be stuck in. <laughs> Maybe he's desperate to be known for something other than killing a president. Oh my god. <laughs> what? No offense. Nobody sits here and, and says like, oh, John Wilkes Booth, the actor? Yeah. <laughs> the Shakespearean actor? The Shakespearean oh, yes. actor? The famous actor? <laughs> wow. Definitely the main thing he's known for. <laughs> Shakespearean actor, I really actor, do wonder... Comma, assassin. I wonder, like, two, two sides of the same coin. What makes theater so haunted versus, you know, because people rarely die in theaters. But also, I really, you mostly hear about hauntings in American theaters. And I, I know we are not the only country that has ghost stories. So I really am curious next year to jump into maybe some of our European counterpart ghost stories. 
Because those buildings have been there even longer. That's true. We got to get some Euro ghosts. If you live in Europe, send me your ghost stories. (laughs) Accepting submissions for next year starting now. So we've we've gotten we've talked about people who have been visited by ghosts, people who have experienced ghosts, but we have yet to get into a conversation about people who have been, uh, let's say, in communion with ghosts, and that is the very fun premise of my next story. Rosemary Isabel Dickinson is a very normal woman born in London in 1916, until one day, at the age of seven, she's visited by a spirit. A man with long white hair and a flowing black cassock. And he whispers to her that he is a composer and that one day he would make her famous. And then he's gone for years. Poof. And it isn't until about 10 years later that she sees a portrait of Franz Liszt and recognizes him as the man who visited her. Which is nuts. Um, okay, what is with all these famous composers meeting these randos? I mean, Bowie's not random, but... <laughs> Why have I not been visited? Right? But it's fascinating to me because, like, she she meets him at age seven. Oh. But he's not coming back for a while. He just tells her that he's a composer and he's going to make her famous one day. Now, okay. Rosemary Brown is, in fact, not maybe the most normal Londoner because she's a spiritualist. And so were many members of her family. Her parents and grandparents were both claimed to be psychic. Right? But she doesn't make her living as a psychic. She, in the meantime, after she meets this ghost at age seven, she lives a pretty normal life. She starts working for the post office at age 15. She had a piano in her home growing up, but she didn't really play. And when she was older, when she was about 32, she gets her first secondhand upright piano and took lessons for a couple years. Um, In 1952, Mm -hmm. she marries Charles Brown, a government scientist. She has two kids. Um, and he passes away in 1961. Then, in 1964, yeah, she's 48 now. 41 years after the original visit. Liz starts appearing to her again. And Brown begins transcribing original compositions dictated to her by Brahms, Bach, Rachmaninoff, Schubert, Grieg, Debussy, Chopin, Schumann, Beethoven, Mozart, and Liszt including a 40-page sonata that she attributes to Schubert, a fantasy impromptu uh, in three movements that she attributes to Chopin, 12 songs she attributes to Schubert, and two sonatas and two symphonies that she says were given to her by Beethoven. What? Yeah. She's like got a whole like, freaking musical library. Can I tell you, library? so many of these like threw me for a loop, but none threw me as much as the symphonies. Right? Because... Like, I feel like you could fake some songs. You could even fake a 40-page sonata if you tried really hard. But symphonies are hard to write. Yeah. Random people who don't have music experience are not writing symphonies, friends. Yeah. And it's nuts. So... And she didn't have, like, any music. Did she have music background? No. She took piano for a couple years, but by no means was there ever a record that she had the kind of musical training that would have allowed her to do some of what she did. So there are lots of psychologists and musicologists who have weighed in on the works that she supposedly dictated for composers. So um, Humphrey Searle, who wrote, is an authority on list and wrote his autobiography. Oh, wow. Uh, or hi- wrote in his autobiography. Obviously not list autobiography. Um, referring to a piece called Grubelei, a piece inspired by list. 
uh, and said, It is certainly in keeping with Liszt's experimental style, being mostly written in single notes in each hand. It is highly chromatic, and one hand is written in 5-4 time against 3-2 in the other. The latter is not a thing that Liszt ever did as far as I know, but it is the sort of thing he might have done, as I said in my broadcast, which was reproduced on this record sleeve without my knowledge. Uh, Since then, Fiona and I have gotten to know Rosemary very well and believe her to be perfectly genuine, even if the pieces dictated her by dead composers are not masterpieces, although some of them are very nice work. She has no technical training in composition that could not, uh, that could possibly produce pastiches. Um... Interesting. Professor Ian Parrott was also a supporter and participated in a documentary about this. Also, like, helped write Rosemary Brown's obituary. But Grubelai, Grubelai, I think that's the pronunciation, uh, partly dictated under the watchful gaze of BBC reporter Peter Dorling and a television crew, is undoubtedly a most spectacular and unusual piece. It has strong harmonies, cross rhythms, and occasional instructions in French, a point conferring authenticity and difficult to fake. The composer and list specialist, Humphrey Searle, said, we must be grateful to Miss Brown for making it available to all of us. So people also watched her compose. That's so fascinating. Like, it, it sounds like in this documentary, which, by the way, another great opportunity for a watch party, because I would absolutely watch this. Um, yeah, wait, what? Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's not just like she showed up with these pieces. People watched her make some of them. And, like, there are some very funny moments, supposedly, in the documentary, because... Uh, People were like, okay, but beyond just the obvious of like, how do you have the musical ability to do this? How are the composers speaking to you? Because most of these composers were not English. They did not speak English. Um, And Brown explained, Beethoven has obviously taken the trouble to learn English since he passed over. (laughs) I'm crying. I love how she's just like, listen, he has the time. I'm like, listen, Beethoven has Duolingo now, okay? (laughs) This is the 21st century, so (laughs) dumb question next. (laughs) Thank you, next. I'm dead. But, uh, and even then, you know, other people also asked, like, why didn't Schubert finish his unfinished symphony? You know, why isn't he communicating how to finish some of his works? And Brown recalled, he told me he had decided to leave it as it was. He left it as a mystery, and in a way, it was more romantic as unfinished. Which doesn't feel like an entirely un-Schubert thing to do. (sighs) True, true. Like, if somebody- That is, like, just so fascinating. If somebody told me people were playing my work even if it was unfinished, I was like, yeah, I would just leave it then. Um, but obviously not everyone believes- believed that she was possessed by spirit (laughs) well yeah so there were a lot of musicologists and psychologists who really thought that it was brown's own subconscious that was making it um leonard zuzna warren h jones uh, have a book called anomalistic psychology a study of magical thinking said brown wrote hundreds of pieces of music dictated by various composers they were passable works entirely in the style of these composers but appeared to be simply reworkings of existing pieces there we go okay okay and professor of psychology john sloboda uh wrote that brown's music offers the most convincing case of unconscious composition on a large scale psychologist robert kastenbaum analyzed brown's music compositions and came to doubt that they were dictated by to brown by spirits of well-known composers according to him uh, they were secondary personalities of Brown herself. Oh. So, there's a lot going on there. And I think maybe the more interesting question then, was she, you know, speaking to ghosts, is um, did she really believe that she was speaking to ghosts? Because, like, there's various ways to take what people have uh, said about her. Mm-hmm. 
That's fascinating. Right? And I mean, like, obviously, even if she wasn't talking. Well, yeah, but, like, did she believe she was talking to ghosts? And was it, in fact, just parts of her subconscious speaking to her? And this is not entirely outside of the realm of things that have happened. There have been cases of people who have hit their head and suddenly been able to play instruments and things. Like, it's not outside the realm of things that we do know to happen, you know? But Mm -hmm. then you look also at the time when she started making these claims was shortly after her husband died you know is it a question of like okay. did she need to make the money um but there's also like i said the Ooh. you know there the, i mentioned ian parrot earlier who argued that he didn't think she was a fraud he said he didn't think she was clever enough to fake what she transcribed which sounds more like an insult really um in my view the limitations of her training <laughs> left her unfettered by too much formal apparatus and so better to receive music from others she related him telling her a musical background would have caused you to acquire too many ideas and theories of your own. These would have been an impediment to us. Hmm. I mean, it is interesting that so many people thought that all of her works were so faithful to these composers that at minimum they were just reworkings, but they never really saw like an individualistic work in them. Mm-hmm. That's also, it's interesting. I really want to hear these pieces. People because, play them. I mean, they must sound pretty legit for all of these, like all of these like actual people to come forward they are performed and they're considered like inspired by is usually how they're listed so composed by her inspired by ex-composer um but ultimately that's so interesting what Liz said to her at seven years old came true rosemary brown went on to become famous uh she appeared on oscar peterson's tv program the johnny carson show leonard bernstein dined her at the savoy and played some of her transcriptions um, and it was said that he was particularly what? thrilled with her Rachmaninoff. Colin Davis asked of her what? to. Uh, Colin Davis asked her to inquire to Berlioz about the the Tempe. Uh, she claimed, but here's the other thing: she, you know, a lot of what we talk about with her, it seems like she achieved her most of her fame through music. But she claimed to be in communion with lots of people. Um, she also was in communion with painters and. Uh, as she said, Einstein, Shaw, Jung, um, Bertrand Russell, which was particularly funny because one of the articles I read um, talked about Bertrand Russell. And he said, which must have surprised uh, Russell considering his essay, Do We Survive Death? Uh, and he had concluded that we don't. Bertrand oh Russell gosh. didn't believe in a life after death. So if he was communing with her, he must have been shocked. Mm. <laughs> shocked. At What's itself. funny to me is I think that's actually maybe the weaker point of the story is that. Like I, I could, I could buy into the one group, but everybody talking to her, <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. a fascinating story, because truly people were split on on how much they thought she was or wasn't, and simultaneously you could talk about how you're surprised there aren't bigger works written by her, but the fact that she wrote works at all was kind of impressive considering how much we know about her musical training, and even if she was able to teach herself in order to make. A magnificent fraud. Um, you know, some of these people were scholars and music- musicologists on the subjects of these works, and they looked at her work and they were like, I, "If it's a reworking, it's really impressive for how much she supposedly knows." Interesting, interesting. That's fascinating. I really want to watch because, like, documentary. I, like, I, well, yeah, because obviously, even if she wasn't talking to any of these spirits, <laughs> she's a good composer <laughs> somehow, mysteriously. That's fascinating. Yeah, I just love that. And spooky. Because either she's an incredible con woman or she really believed it and she's, you know, just a, a wild case of, like, an unknown psychology or least likely of all, maybe it's ghosts. 
well, where was this lady when I, <laughs> where was this lady and where were these spirits when I was forced to compose pieces for my theory yeah, class? Yeah, where's our community? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Come on, man. That's rude as heck. They left me out to dry. That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Literally all of these paranormal experiences, I'm like, yeah, but why? Why aren't you chatting with me? Did that not happen to me? But yeah. Come on. I really could have used you, list. Come on. Oh my gosh. Well, that concludes this year's spooky episode. Gosh, these are some of our favorite episodes to record. So head over to our Instagram. You can find us at Opera Offstage. You can find us on Facebook, TikTok, um, all that good stuff. You can check out our website at opera-offstage.com. But go to our Instagram. We're going to have some spooky polls um, kind of throughout the week leading up to Halloween. So um, let us know if a composer came and woke you up in the middle of the night, who would be the worst person and who would be the best. Um, and let us know, like, what do you think of these stories? And we will see you again next week. Bye. Bye. Hee hee hee.